The reading for our meditation today is taken from the Gospel according to St. Luke, the 12th chapter, beginning with verse 13. Then one from the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Then he spoke a parable to them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully, and he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater And there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. These are your words, Heavenly Father. They are your truth. We pray that you would strengthen our faith through them. Amen. The first year that I was a pastor up in Minneapolis, there was a, uh, a Sunday when all of a sudden six brand new families we'd never met showed up in our narthex, in our lobby, and uh, wanted to now join our church. Six families, just like that. That's pretty unusual. And... Uh, Uh, pastors usually are very excited by that, but when we sat down and talked to these families, there was a whole different reason behind it. And basically what had happened is they were from a nearby Lutheran church, only a few miles away, and uh, at this congregation, the pastor and his wife were under investigation by the FBI. And apparently what was happening is that the pastor Um, was somehow responsible every Monday to take the Sunday offerings and to bring the loose money that was put in the plate and bring it to the bank where his wife worked, was a teller there, and the two of them had set up a side account that nobody knew about, and they had now stolen from the church over about a 10-year period about $100,000. And so the FBI was called in to investigate, and, and he was under arrest and so on. And the congregational members, we tried to talk them into going back to their church because we didn't want to grow at the expense of another church. But they said this had upset them so much they couldn't possibly go back and really wanted to join. And how sad it was that, that here this man whose position was to teach people to look for the greater heavenly riches that we have in Christ, uh, was now using his position to, uh, to abscond money from people. It was really kind of a sad situation. But it demonstrates something about each one of us, pastors included, and that is that there is a strong magnetism inside of us to the things of this world. There's a strong magnetic pull to the riches, and it doesn't have to just be money but the things of this world that can often provide us with some immediate happiness. And so the warning that Jesus is giving to us in this text and the parable that he tells to teach us about this is is so that we don't miss out on the superior, lasting treasures that he's come to win for us with his blood 
and exchange them for the inferior fading treasures that we can have in this life. Now, the parable in front of us that he tells about this man and building his barns and so on is a very interesting one. We naturally tend to think of parables as made-up stories by Jesus to teach a lesson, and they often might be. But it's also possible this is a real-life story. Okay? There's nothing in it that would indicate it couldn't be. Okay? And he gives this story about the, that the ground of this certain rich man had yielded so well, and, and he now was going to build up his business. And there's nothing odd, there's nothing kind of out of sorts about all of this for how this man thinks on the surface. If you've been blessed with a good business, it's okay and right for you to, to increase. And it's okay for you to try to make your business better and bigger. There's nothing wrong with that. It's actually part of good stewardship. I have a brother-in-law who's a very successful contractor. And he's built a large business through, his year, through the years. And he says, you feel very responsible for the families and children that depend on you as you operate your business. So in an oven by itself, there's nothing wrong with having success uh, in your financial world or in your business world or in your life. There's nothing wrong with that per se. But the sin of this man is not his wealth. It's not his success. It's not even the fact that he wants to improve his business. But the problem here is his heart. His heart has become so attached to the things of this world and that that's become his treasure in life. Now, sometimes when, when people of modest income or medium income, probably most of us here are middle-income families in our country, uh, the problem often is that when we look at stories like this, we often think, well, can't be talking about me because I don't have enough money to... I'm not rich so that I'm going to be covetous. Well, covetousness has nothing to do with how much you have. Covetousness has to do with where your heart is about anything in life and about what you wish and want to have. And so this man's earthly, uh, earthly treasure has become his heaven, if you will. The barns that he wants to build are simply the altar he's going to use to ultimately worship the God of his earthly treasures. And notice here that Jesus doesn't say, beware of riches. It's not what he says. He says, beware of covetousness. And covetousness can happen in the heart of somebody no matter how little money they have or how much money they have. Sometimes it can even be a stronger pull inside of people who don't have as much. In fact, especially when we live in a country where there are a lot of people who have a lot more than we do. Boy, it can be a really strong lure to to want to think that that's where my heaven would be. So to Jesus, the, the primary issue for us to consider is where's my heart in all of this? Where's my heart and my mind in all of this? So what is it about this temptation that is so magnetic to us? Why it, and why is it so, such a distracting power? Listen to what St. Paul wrote in his day. Some have strayed from their faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Now, isn't that interesting? Some of the people in congregations that he was serving, that he knew, people who had been converted to Christianity by St. Paul, of all people, I always thought, man, if I could sit at the seat, feet of St. Paul, think how much stronger my faith would be. Already in the first century, people who probably had spoken with some of the apostles, maybe even witnessed some of the miracles of Christ, we're already starting to drop out of the church. Why? Because of this problem, okay? They have already strayed from the faith 
in their greediness, he says. Think about the devil even took our Lord himself, the Son of God, to the top of the temple in Jerusalem and had him look out over everything, tempting him with the wealth of this world. If, if he is so bold and audacious to, to do that to the Son of God, just think what he's going to do toward people like us. Now, speaking from my own experience, I'd like to list off three specific temptations that I know I have and wrestle with in regard to what Jesus is addressing. First of all is this. This is one of the biggest for me. The idea that I can chase after two different goals in life, as if, as if trying to get to heaven and trying to get wealthy and have the blessings of this life, as if they're on the same path. That's a temptation. Jesus says, you cannot serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or love the one and hate the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon. They're going in two different directions. Have you ever noticed with yourself that the more you're focused on the things you can get in this life, the, the less focused you become on Christ and his grace and the importance of the things in his kingdom? Okay, so that's the first one for me. The second one is this. The idea that I can temporarily, right now, set aside chasing after heaven, not forget about it, but just temporarily set it aside so that I can pursue other things, knowing I'm always going to go back to heaven. I'm going to always go back and make that my primary issue at the end of my life. That's another temptation. Satan likes to convince me I've got plenty of time to make this happen. I've got plenty of time to always return and put, put my house in order and get everything straight and lined up the way I need to be. I'm, one pastor years ago used to call this spiritual anesthesia. It just starts to numb you to the things of God. It starts to numb you to how wonderful and important the grace of Christ is and what that means for us. And the third temptation that I often face is this in this regard. And that is to, to outwardly appear to be so heavenly-minded, especially as a chaplain and as a pastor, in front of the right people, in front of the, the, the people of God's kingdom, and yet maybe inside have my heart still longing for the things that I have here and can have here in this life. So those are the three that most affect me. Maybe yours are similar or maybe you have others too. The most spiritually advantaged believers in Christ still face this temptation. Judas, think about Judas, right in the presence of Jesus every day. Ananias and Sapphira, sitting at the feet of the great apostle Peter, and still tempted away by this. And we're very tempted in this world to measure our lives according to the success that we can have in this life. And according to the way our culture tends to measure how successful we are. Now, in the parable, Jesus instructs us that God suddenly ends this man's life at a very unexpected time. And the God he's been worshiping, the God that he's been worshiping and having his attention so focused on, suddenly has nothing for him. The God of materialism and greed and all of that. Suddenly there's no answer. And he can't provide him with anything at that point. I think of what an awful scene on Judgment Day for people who at one time knew the things of God's kingdom, had been blessed to know their Savior, had been blessed to be longing for heaven, and yet somehow started to lose that 
And finally that faith was gone and suddenly their life was taken from this world and, and uh, what a sad scene that would be on Judgment Day. Now behind this warning of Jesus, it's a lot of law, but behind this warning of Jesus is his love for you, his concern for you, his love for you to get to experience what he left in heaven to be able to come down and win for you so that you could go there someday. It's his deep-rooted love for you and concern that you get to experience not just the temporary type of joys you can have in this life, but the eternal joy that he alone can offer. He's the one who says to us that no eye has seen, no ear has heard what God has prepared for those who love him. And he has lived through the very consequences of what dropping this faith would be like. He has lived through the consequences of hell and survived that by his death on the cross so that you would never, ever, ever have to know what that is. So that by his blood, he, can, he has cleansed you and me from all of the sin and wickedness and materialism and greed and pride and all of that from this world, that he has wiped all of that away so cleansed by his gracious blood. And he has come now to, to dress you in the very garment, the robe of righteousness that you need to be led into heaven someday. The only people who will be allowed through the gates of heaven must be wearing that precious white robe of his holiness, one that you and I know we don't have, but he has given it to you in your baptism. He keeps dressing you in it every time you hear his word and you're brought back to his wonderful grace and his mercy and the hope of heaven is one for you. Think of what our Lord has personally invested in your future. How, how well he, above all, knows the, the, the value of what is waiting for you and me someday by faith in him. And he doesn't want you to lose that. So he says to us, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things that we can have in this life They'll be added to us as well. Amen.